Scripture reading this morning is found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, and in the Pew Bible it's page 685. Great way to start the new year out, Sunday, the first of the year, getting together in God's house. Let's read his word. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. For if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There was a man who worked all his life and saved as much money as possible as he could. He loved money more than anything. Just before he died, he said to his wife, When I die, I want you to take all my money and put it in the casket with me. I want to take my money to the afterlife. His wife reluctantly agreed. At his funeral, just before the undertakers closed the casket, his his wife put a box in the casket with him. The undertaker shut the casket and rolled it away. The wife's friend, knowing the agreement she made to her husband, said, You are not that foolish where you would put all the money in with that man, did you? The wife answered, I can't lie. I promised him I would put all his money in there with him. You mean to tell me that you put that money in the casket with him? Her friend asked. I sure did, said the wife. I wrote him a check. (laughs) Not going to help him. Neither would all his money. Jack Benny used to say, if I can't take it with me, then I'm not going. (laughs) Guess what? A more accurate perspective is what this one epitaph read. What I spent, I lost. What I possessed is left to others. What I gave away remains with me. What kind of investments are you making? The stock market, the game, obviously, is to find a stock that you think will pay off in the future. You invest now with the hopes that will bring great dividends later. What investments will you make in 2012? You know, there have been many who have spoken on financial investments. One consultant on investing said this, never invest your money in anything that eats or needs repairing. John Rockefeller gave three simple rules for becoming rich. Go to work early, stay at work late, and thirdly, find oil. (laughs) That's probably the best one. Another word on the investing is the principle of dollar cost averaging. It it advises to invest the same amount in a fund at regular intervals over time, even if it's a small amount, for it's better in the long run than making larger investments every once in a while. 
You see, there are many words to us about investing. Well, Jesus talks about investing. And when Jesus speaks, well, we ought to listen. Once again, we're met with penetrating words from the lips of Jesus on the subject of the Christian and his possessions. And we we return this morning after a Christmas break to our study on the Sermon on the Mount. Our theme for the series is embracing Jesus' values. And as we have seen from our time in the greatest sermon ever told, that to live this way as given to us in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew requires that we become countercultural. We must become countercultural. That's very evident as we come to the passage this morning in Matthew chapter 6, where we see that kingdom economics is in sharp contrast with worldly economics. And my hope for you... My hope for me is that we're more convinced than ever that there's more lasting pleasure in life and a life devoted to snatching up spiritual opportunities than a life devoted to grabbing all you can for the comforts of this life. That's the thought that springs out of the passage here that Dennis just read in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24. That there is more lasting pleasure in a life devoted to snatching up spiritual opportunities than a life devoted to the comforts of this life. Now, there are three metaphors Jesus uses in this section of Scripture. Two kinds of treasures, two kinds of eyes, two kinds of masters. Let's first look at two kinds of treasures. Follow along with me. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, hopefully your Bibles are open to that page as we look at this together. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, let me read them again. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Now, notice here that Jesus doesn't say, do not store up for yourselves money on earth. He speaks of treasures. Treasures include money, but it's more than money. There are many things we treasure that can be even more important to us than money. Our treasure may be our home. Our treasure may be that latest toy. Our treasure may be our position that we hold or, 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 or a reputation that we have at school. Our treasure might be the title that we're seeking after. We can treasure people's approval, as we saw a few weeks back. We can make a, a lifetime out of laying up a good impression on others that we never get around to laying up treasures in heaven. So how might we define a treasure? Dallas Willard spoke of treasures this way. He said, we reveal what our treasures are by what we protect, secure, and keep. Now suppose, suppose I assign someone to secretly follow you around this coming week or for the next month. I have my little detective out there. I don't really, but what if I did Some of you wonder sometimes, when I preach in the morning, you wonder if I was in your living room this past week. I really, no one spied on you. But what if I assign someone to secretly follow you around this coming week or for the next month? 
What might they observe about what you treasure? Now, if you're married, hopefully they would at least conclude that you treasure your spouse. If you have children, they might observe that they are treasured. But what else? It may be no secret to those closest to you what you actually treasure and value. It is also safe to say that if those who are observing you are your children, then indeed you are telling them all the time, and especially at critical moments in your life, what you treasure, what you're investing in, what you value, what is important to you. They're watching you. A popular financial expert, Susie Orman, tells of how when she was a little girl, that she watched as her dad's business caught fire. She remembers vividly her dad dashing inside the burning building, grabbing the hot metal cash register with his bare hands and running out. His, her dad then fell to the ground, writhing in pain with scorched and seared hands. She said that moment changed her forever. She credits that moment as making her into a saver and diligent money manager. She said this, from that point on, earning money, lots of money, not only became what drove me professionally, but also became my emotional priority. Is what she saw her dad do at that critical moment that taught her that money is very valuable and worth endangering your life if necessary. What would you run back into the house for? What treasure, treasure would be worth risking everything for? It was said that the construction site outside the city of Pompeii, which many years earlier was destroyed by the eruption of a volcano, some workers found the corpse of a woman. She was apparently fleeing from that eruption, but had been caught in its rain of hot ashes. What was noteworthy about this situation was that the woman was clutching jewels in her hands. She had saved her jewels, but lost her life in the process. You see, money and materialism cost too much. It has cost us broken relationships, enslavement to creditors, time away from family, disintegration of health, shipwrecked faith, and on and on and on it goes. Now, in case you're wondering, the issue is not about being wealthy. Only on one occasion does Scripture specifically record Jesus requesting that someone leave his possessions in order to follow him. A reason for Jesus' demand on the rich young ruler is that it was obviously coming between him and the Lord's. But Jesus here in Matthew 6 is not speaking against being rich. That's not the issue. Nor is the issue saving for the future. Jesus is not against investments, just bad investments. He states explicitly that it is a bad investment to use your resources for earthly gain only. Why? Well, it says here they'll either rot, rust, or be ripped off. The idea behind rust, rot, or robbery is to show that earthly treasures do not last. It's to highlight the temporary nature of those things. In other words, to invest in that which can be lost when the stock market crashes, or when the inflation eats the value of it, or we lose our job, we ultimately end at the moment of our death. Jesus says that is a bad investment. It's temporary. 
I read about a man of a certain clothing manufacturer who turned out thousands upon thousands of sweatshirts with the words on it, money isn't everything. You know what happened? He went bankrupt. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. <laughs> but what's, what's the point? It's temporary. <laughs> as the old song goes, it's all dust in the wind. Nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky. It slips away and all your money won't another minute buy. Everything is dust in the winds. And this day of luxury, loving, comfort, living Christianity, this is a serious matter. It's a crucial issue because every day we either lay up treasures on earth or lay up treasures in heaven. And Jesus' word on investing is, The value of heavenly treasures far surpasses any treasure on earth. The value of heavenly treasures far surpasses any treasure on earth. That's what we learn from the use of the metaphor of two kinds of treasures. Now Jesus moves next to speak of two kinds of eyes. Two kinds of eyes. Follow along, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now Jesus used the metaphor of the eyes being the lamp of the body to further illustrate undivided loyalty to God's values. It is a question of where we fix our eyes. Are we singularly focused on the things that really matter in the end? Or are we driven by the passionate pursuit of more, more, more? And the material seduction is powerful. It is powerful. I can give personal examples in my own life how powerful it is. But just consider advertising's twofold message. It is this. One, you do not have all you need to be happy. Secondly, and what you have is not good enough. So we are perpetually dissatisfied. And Jesus wants us to see the true values in life, that investing in eternity brings life into sharper focus. It gives our life meaning and purpose and satisfaction and fulfillment. Now, what is interesting about these verses is the relationship between what we see and how we function on a day-to-day basis. Outlook determines outcome. If we have a material outlook, then the result will be stumbling around in life like a person who tries to find his way through darkness. On the other hand, a mind set on treasures in heaven, an eye on eternity results in a life that can see things as they really are. And when we're about laying up treasures in heaven, we can better see the true value of things. So the challenge is check your spiritual eyesight. What's clouding your spiritual sight right now? Is it the light within you as a flicker because your eye is on other things that are not of God? Are you struggling right now with focus? You see them all over the place? Well, again, ask, where is your treasure? Ask yourself, what is of greatest importance to me? Because you locate that then you can safely say it has your focus. Remember, every day we either store up treasures on earth or store up treasures in heaven. We either give our energy and focus to snatch up a spiritual opportunity or we will give our focus to take advantage of some material one. 
What do you have your eyes on? And to what extent will you go to obtain it? A young child was shopping with his mom when he spotted a toy that he wanted to buy, but he didn't have enough money to buy it. Mom was trying to teach her son about financial responsibility and that she was not going to simply hand over the money to him. So in a brilliant display of resourcefulness, the young boy reached into his mouth and to the astonishment of the onlookers, he pulled out a loose baby tooth and he handed it to his mom. This should help. Maybe I can get my toy now. See, when we want something bad enough, We will dig deeper. We will work harder. We will put our energy into obtaining that item. If it means pulling out a tooth, we'll do that. See, a second word on investing then, and Jesus' use of two kinds of eyes, is focus on snatching up spiritual opportunities. Let's focus on snatching up spiritual opportunities. The challenge then is is to use the same amount of energy to snatch a spiritual opportunity when presented. The opportunities for heavenly investments are endless. It's a question of whether or not we are seeing them. Are your eyes good? What kind of eyes do we have? That's what he puts on the table. Well, Jesus then speaks to two masters to make his point about good investments. We see two kinds of masters. Look at verse 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, a better word for money here, NIV has it, money, is the word mammon. Mammon. Because it's broader than money, it includes all our material possessions. The thought behind Jesus' words here in verse 24 is of a slave and a master relationship. And it's not parallel to our current day employee-employer relationship. Because in our day, we can serve more than one boss. We can work at more than one job and serve both employers equally. Well, in Christ's day, a master owns you. It was not only difficult to serve two different masters, it was utterly impossible. Try walking east and west at the same time and you get the picture. It's impossible. You can't do it. Doesn't matter how hard you try, you cannot do it. Whom do we serve? Billy Graham once said, every checkbook is a theological document. It will tell you what you worship. What do we worship? That is what we serve. Now, how do we serve money? How do we serve material things? How do we serve the treasures on earth? Well, we serve these things when they wield a certain control over us. We serve it by believing that they can deliver on what it promises. And what does it promise? Happiness and satisfaction and fulfillment and significance. Can it deliver? For a time. We serve material things by doing whatever is necessary to enjoy all of its benefits for our good. And as Americans, we are susceptible to a sickness, a disease. Do you know what it is? Stuffitis. That's a disease. We all have it. 
If we can see it in the window of a store, or we can see it in a catalog, or we can see it online, or we can see it in the parking lot, or we can see it in someone else's backyard, we want it. And like the bumper sticker that said, I want it all, and I want it now. That sums up the American way. Someone joked, people buy things they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't even like. (laughs) And as someone quips, I think I've said it before, I wonder if at the point of rapture, some may go up feet first because we're trying to hold on to all the stuff. Not really theologically accurate, but you get the picture. Stuffitis. It shows you how much a hold the stuff has on us. We begin to love all that we have accumulated, and then all we have accumulated begins to enslave us. Now, worthwhile distinction must be made as we talk about treasures on earth. Jesus is not teaching that we should not use material things. As a matter of fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, in the context of material things, it says of God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyments. It's not wrong to enjoy material things. It's not the point. If you think that's what it is, to be miserable with all the material things you have, then you've missed the point. The problem lies in us placing too high of a value on that which is temporary. To give ourselves daily to buying up material things over buying up spiritual opportunities is a bad investment. It's been said that money is not everything, but it's way ahead of whatever is in second place. And we've bought that philosophy. And if material things can truly satisfy, then Americans should be deliriously happy. Right? Treasures of this world cannot bring the satisfaction that will last. So let's quit using our resources for our personal comforts that yield such a low percentage of satisfaction and invest in the high-yield securities of heaven. That's Jesus' point. What are the treasures to be stored up in heaven? Well, again, in the passage in 1 Timothy 6, 17, where the rich are told to enjoy what God has given them, it says this, those who are rich in the world are to do good, be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So doing good deeds for the advancement of the kingdom are to be considered treasures in heaven. Remember, Jesus also said that those who give a simple cup of water or some food to the hungry or welcoming the stranger or visiting the sick or visiting those in prison in Jesus' name will receive a reward. Those are treasures stored up in heaven. So that time spent on the phone with a hurting brother or sister in Christ or that visit of a lonely saint or the use of one of your skills to repair that single mom's car, are treasures being laid up right now as we go through life. Resources used for missions or to help the poor or some struggling student for Christ's sake will never be lost. They are treasures stored up in heaven as you go through life. The people you invest in now are treasures stored up in heaven. Can never be taken away. Never. So the issue is about where we're investing our time and energy and how we're using our resources. You might recall back when we worked our way through our stewardship sermon series of the definition of stewardship. Stewardship 
which is being a manager of all the resources we have. Stewardship is the use of our God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. So where does the change need to take place? How do we change it? Well, as has been the case throughout this sermon series, Jesus goes after the heart. Go back with me to verse 21. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a heart issue. Whatever you cherish the most, whatever is most important to you will occupy your heart. The heart is the control center of your life. It will control your direction. A treasure has tremendous power on us. If you're trying to locate where your heart is right now, simply find out what it is you treasure. If you treasure the approval of others, that's where your heart is. It will direct the course of your life. If you treasure being the best, that is where your heart is. If you treasure having the most, then that will occupy your heart. See, behind the question of where is your treasure is the question of where is your focus. And behind the question of where's your focus is whom do you serve? See how they all go together? But it's a heart issue. Where's your heart? Where's my heart? Do I have a distaste right now for eternal investments? Then we need to deal with the heart. Maybe it's a lordship issue. Maybe you're fighting submitting to God as the master of your life. You might be resisting giving him full control. You see, I'm either serving God or I'm serving something else. God either controls me or material outlook controls me. I cannot serve both God and material things. I can talk all I want about God, but if my mindset is one of doing whatever is necessary to enjoy all the comforts and benefits of this life, then I just might be godless. Too strong? What does Jesus say? No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You see, our tendency is to break our life into two parts, secular and spiritual. I can serve God on Sundays or when I'm around others who serve God, but when I'm in the world, Monday through Saturday, then I can serve my sinful appetites. And what is really scarier about this is that we can actually delude ourselves into thinking that God is okay with that arrangement. He's not. The light within us is darkness. That's a scary place to be. We're self-deceived. We think we have light there. It's darkness. See, we're either trusting in material things to bring us satisfaction and happiness, or we're trusting in God. That's what it says. We're either believing in the promise that money, what money offers, or we're banking on God's promise of fullest, complete joy. Jesus' third word on investing is what you believe is important for a quality life will rule what you chase in life. What you believe is important for a quality life will rule what you chase in life. A man was chasing, wanting a boat more than anything else. His wife was totally against the idea, but he went out and bought the boat anyway. I'll tell you what, he said to his wife, in the spirit of compromise, why don't you name the boat? Well, being a good sport, she accepted She told her husband she named the boat. She put it on the side of the boat. Go check it out. And he was excited to see what it was. So he went to the dock. He found his boat. And he saw painted on the side of the boat, for sale. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) A 
think she won that one. There are some things we need to put a for sale sign on. So some things we need to surrender and get rid of because we're enslaved to it. God wants us to serve him with our resources, putting all that we have at his disposal for his glory. It is amazing. It is amazing the amount of energy, time, money, resources, and effort go into chasing the things of this world. Of collecting treasures that we can't take with us or send ahead of us. One of the better-known treasure hunts of all times is the quest to find the rumored wealth known as the Beale Treasure. The search began when an eccentric man who left the East for the gold and silver mines of the West returned home, supposedly hid a vast amount of wealth, and then he disappeared forever. All he left behind were several messages written in a mysterious code. One of those messages, when deciphered, told of the treasure in its approximate location. The other messages would then narrow down the exact location. Sounds like national treasure. And since the Beale documents first came to light, thousands of man hours and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars have been spent attempting to break the codes and find the legendary treasure. All for something temporary. And I wonder, am I going all out like that to invest in treasures in heaven? Am I? As we launch into a new year, will you commit to an undivided loyalty to eternal values? What does that look like for you? What needs to change? How will you, how will I intentionally, consciously be about laying up treasures in heaven this year? Let's pray.